Lee introduced. Um, so great to be with you. I'm actually a church planner and pastor as well. Oh, if you if you have a if you want a kid and you want to go down, or you just want to go down because you you don't want to hear me, now's a good time to excuse yourself. I'm a church planner as well, good friends with Trev, we've become friends. I lived in Norman for 10 years, worked uh, with a campus ministry down there called RUF after I went to seminary up in St. Louis, lived down there for 10 years, moved up to Oklahoma City, and we started a church, City, City Presbyterian Church, and we're partnering together and doing the same thing, really. We meet at 5 o'clock on Sunday night, so I'm such blessed, so blessed to be able to be with you here this morning and not miss my church. I've been on vacation all week, and so I'm anxious to get back to church and to see my people. And just like y'all, you know, we, we've got a lot of things going on. We've, we've had several families adopt recently. We've got several families involved in foster care, which is really a heartbreaking thing, as y'all know. We've got a, a woman in our church whose mom is dying of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, sitting in our living room. We've got a, a woman who has her grandmother in her house and can't stand her. She's just a mean, she's a mean lady and it wears on her and she's trying to be kind and, and to love her. We've got one of our leaders who has an eye disease and is worried he's going blind. And then we've got rejoicing things too. You know, those are just the sad things. Uh, people are doing great and coming out of bondage and slavery and addiction and hearing the gospel. And, and I know those stories are true in this church. It's one of the reasons why we plant churches so that we can gather in people who haven't felt like they've been connected somewhere else. And also there's a lot of work to do. So we're praying for you and we love you and want you to pray for us and love us at City Press. You can turn in your Bibles to Leviticus. I'm sure you have a well-worn spot in Leviticus. You probably had some quiet times in there this morning. This week, um, at City Press, we've been going through Leviticus all summer, and our proposition is that if we can find Christ in Leviticus, whoa, we might be on to something. In, in the most neglected, most passed over, but however most often quoted, people seem to know a lot about this book without having read it. Is it possible in the midst of all the rules, all the regulations, all the codes? You know, this is the Bible reading plan stopper book right here. You're doing great in Genesis. Exodus is pretty exciting. And then Leviticus, pow, wait till next year. That's how it feels like. Is it possible that Christ is in this book and that we can see the gospel here? I think that we can. As I read just a few passages, we're not going to read the whole chapter. I want you to be thinking about what you do with your sin and what you do when you're sorry. Okay, so I'm going to start with 15, the 31, and then we'll go to 16.1. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. 
and then 16.1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But it is the way, in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd of the sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen undergarments on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. And these are the holy garments, and he shall bathe his body in water, and then shall put them on. And he shall take from the congregation, the people of Israel, two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a ram burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it and that it may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. We pray briefly for us. Lord, we we ask that you would speak to us in this time as you have been, you continually will be. Speak through my humble words. Make the gospel clear that you provide a way for your people in grace. We ask this in your name. Amen. What do you do when you're sorry? Well, uh, in 1077, the emperor, the fourth, Henry the fourth, went through the Alps from Germany to Rome to plead for forgiveness, he sat on his knees for three days so the Pope would not excommunicate him. Now, historians aren't really sure how actually sorry he was, but there are versions of that type of sorrow, of the the depths people will go to get that type of forgiveness. And I've seen it. I've seen people literally go on their knees for a mile up to a statue because they thought that statue would do it for them. And and we know about people who, who feel so sorry that they start cutting themselves to make them feel the pain that their heart feels. Or or they, they start hiding and avoiding your friendship or this church. Or, or you know how you feel like you're starting to get to know someone, you're, you're, you're in a relate, relationship with that person. You start sharing more and more, and you start sharing more and more of your sexual history. And you get to the point each time where you think, this is it, this relationship is going to be over. Whenever he or she hears this news, we're done. Or your kids or you are lying or acting out pulling away when we feel like we're sorry. And think about also what you do when you have been blamed, but you didn't do anything wrong. I hate that. When people think you did wrong, but you didn't. So Leviticus is an ancient book. It has to do with rituals, but it is very connected to our lives. This is our book. 
And whether you're a Christian or not tonight, I want you to see that this book matters not just to these people 3,000 years ago, but that matters here in Oklahoma City in 2013 because it talks about forgiveness and it talks about a forgiveness strategy. And you have a forgiveness strategy. Some of them are successful and some of them are unsuccessful. We're going to talk about God's strategy for forgiveness and how he makes things right. There was a, a, a job in many cultures. These really were from the Eastern European cultures. Up until even a hundred years ago, there was always someone in a little town or village called a sin eater. And this person would live in, in rags is really an outcast. But whenever someone was dying, they would ask the sin eater to come to their house and they would set the dying body in the living room and everyone would be on one side, the body, and then the sin eater would be on the other side. And they would pass over a piece of bread and put it on the chest of that person and pass over some wine and put it on the chest of that person. And then the sin eater would take it and eat it unto himself, thereby, in a ritual way, assuring, so they thought, safe passage for this person. We're not talking the ancient past. What is your sin eater? What do you do with your sin? Who or what has that job for you? In our text, this chapter is about atonement, making things right. Being reconciled to God and others. The pardoning of sin. The debt being paid. So we're going to talk about just two things. Two things from this passage. Why we need it. And how we get it. I I should be able to remember that. Why we need it. And how we get it. So if you start flipping around in Leviticus, you'll start seeing the word unclean a lot. There's a lot of things you can do or not do to be unclean. And um, you might start reading and you could uh, start reading about the food laws, for example. These start coming up in chapter 11 and how you can touch these certain animals and and not touch these certain animals, eat animals, you know, and, and you can sort these out and figure them out. And there's an idea then that's possible that you could stay clean. You could follow all of these things and, and really keep yourself clean, except you get to a few other ones, sort of like chapter 15. Mine is headed laws about bodily discharges. Super awesome topic. There's a purification after childbirth in, in chapter 12. And so many of us just need to wait a month and you will become unclean. You, you can't avoid it. It is the way it happens. And, and really for us men, it could happen way more often than that. And so if you think that you can live a perfectly clean life by obeying all the laws of Leviticus, you just have to wait. It's not true. You cannot do it. 
you will become unclean. None of us can live a perfectly clean life. Now, this isn't all sinful. I'm not talking about sin. And, you, you know, I can't unpack all of the what uncleanness means. But there's a separation that God that isn't only sin. But it reminds us that we need to be clean before we come into the house of the Lord. We need someone to make us right and clean before him. And there is a reminder very often, some about things that we do and some things that just happens to us because we live in this world in these bodies. But God is very serious about it. We tend to gloss these over and say, oh, no big deal. But remember 1531, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. God is very serious about this uncleanness. And all people need forgiveness. All people need atonement. All of us need help. Or else we'll die. 16.1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. See, God's way too holy. It's not just like he needs to chill. He cannot be in the presence of sin or anything unclean. He can't be near them. And he is planning on coming to live and abide with them. And he tells in this chapter about how it's going to work. And what unfolds are the specifics because what's been happening is God's people have built this tent according to his exact specifications, not a generalist at all. And and in this tent, there are other tents. And so I want you to picture that uh, there is this about half a football field area and there are these barriers erected, curtains. You know, down in Norman, and this is probably true in Stillwater and other places, when they have an outdoor practice, there are screens that are around the practice field. And you can really, if you get up real close, you can start to peer through the, the fabric. But what happens when you do that is someone says, hey, out of here. What's happening inside this area is not for you to see. It's not for the general public. And so there's a tent like that. And then inside, under that screen, there is a big actual tent And inside there, there's a massive curtain, really thick, because there's a room where the Ark of the Covenant sits. You know, it's inside the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments. It didn't happen very long ago in Leviticus. And they're sitting in this box, this beautiful box. And this is where the mercy seat is called, where God will come with the law and justice of his people, and he will reside in that spot And there's a special day of atonement where all will be made right. All of the the ways the law have been broken will be forgiven. And so Aaron will head back there and he's got to take off his normal priestly clothes and put on the clothes of a servant. And they actually talk about how, this isn't specified, but the, the Jewish... Tradition says that they would tie a rope around his waist 
and he would go in there and he would uh, kill a bull and sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. Someone else had to die for the people. And they knew that if Aaron did it wrong, he'd die in there. But they wanted to be able to pull him out. And what you see is Aaron needs atonement. The place needs atonement. The people need atonement. Everyone needs atonement. Because all of this sin that's happening with all of these people needs cleansing. Now, so does yours. And so does mine. And it's very often that the cleansing actually takes more work than the sin that it did in the first place. Down in Norman, uh, I had these sort of idiot students. And in the dorms, they started a prank war. And, And I won't tell you all the pranks that led up to this event. But one of the guys thought this would be hilarious. So he broke into the dorm room of his friend. And it took him... 15 minutes to do this. He spread honey all over the walls of this dorm room and then feathers. Took him 15 minutes. You know how much time it took to undo that 15 minutes? 30 hours of work. 30 hours of work for for them. Of course, it wasn't this guy. And the thing was, it had to be done, right? So the guy whose dorm room it was had to do it. Or if he didn't want to do it, Someone had to do it, the janitors, the university. It had to be paid, and it didn't take 15 minutes. So do not be surprised, friends, when the payment is very costly for that thing that took five seconds, that word that just came out of your mouth. Just, it's, just, it's just noise. It did so much damage. One night, there's a cost for those debts. There's a penalty when you've gone too far yet again. When you said too much this time or or you, you didn't say enough. When you've squandered or wandered, you feel guilty or ashamed like, like we do. Do you see yourself then as needing atonement? Do you see yourself in this text? Do you you wonder how can I be made right? Do you want to be made right? Do you need forgiveness? Christianity is for those who see their need for it. So the, the, the first thing that we need to feel and sort of rest in feels lousy is that we need this. It's just not for these ancient folks. It's for us. Secondly, though, the good news, how do we get atonement? If we know we need it, if we can see our sin the big and the little, the small, all the debts that that we've accumulated, how do we get it? I I think that we all want forgiveness. I think we all need it for sure. and I think we all want it, that that we all want to be made right, that we we all want this wholeness. 
Now, some of us have been deadened to this. Or maybe we've seen that the high cost is so much, so we just give up. Or we live so small because we don't want to hope for more. Or maybe we minimize it and don't see the full extent of the damage and we sort of laugh it off like my buddy, the student who just laughed off the feathers and honey. We just think, oh yeah, no big deal. That was hilarious. It wasn't hilarious. Or maybe we distract ourselves from our need and the, the way it gets paid by talking about others' need. They need atonement way more than I do. It's a common strategy. Friends, brothers and sisters, there is a day of atonement. And God has called his people to remember and to see and to experience that there is a payment for sin, that there is a redeemer, and and there is a way to pay for justice. So the, the cost of that justice does not come upon you, but it does come on someone because God makes a way through a representative. Forgiveness is possible as God pays the debt. The one who was offended pays the debt. And he doesn't just show them or tell them. He doesn't just tell them, but he shows them. And these rituals then matter. They mattered for them and they matter for us. It's not true that just because there are a lot of words that that it didn't matter, it's not sort of uh, passionate enough. No, um, things that are coded can still matter. I want to remind you, as many of you I'm sure know, the U.S. Code Title 36 Subtitle 1, Part A, Chapter 5, connected to Amendment 20, right? That's the specification for the inauguration of the President of the United States on January 20th at noon. A specific time, a specific place, specific words, O's that are said that affect each and every one of us. Just because they're written down doesn't mean they don't matter. This is the way that it is to go. To go. This is a special day, and it's a specified way. The Day of Atonement, then, is regulated, special, specified, important to cleanse sin. There's a costly blood sacrifice. The blood sprinkled on the mercy seat of the law mention that. And then in 16, 6 through 10, and then also in 20 through 22, there's this other concept, the scapegoat, where Aaron is told to take two goats, and the one is picked by God, and the other is picked by God, and the one is to be be sacrificed. And the second one is to be the scapegoat. That's a word that actually William Tyndale coined when he translated the Bible into English in 1520 that's survived these 500 years. And on that scapegoat, Aaron is to place his hands, placing the sins of the people in a different image from the the sacrificial image that's being sprinkled upon the, the law. Now a different image of the sins being placed on the people and the goat being set free into the wilderness, never to be seen or heard from again. Cast.
cast out forever, away from the town, away from the city, away from the people, outside of the camp. And we also see one other thing. If you'll look at 1629. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So we see this costly blood sacrifice. We see this picture of sin being uh, cast out of the camp, away from the people, placed on something else, someone else. And then we also see the people being told that they need to afflict themselves. Now, that doesn't mean with whips or uh, hair shirts or, or different things that we've heard of people doing to torture themselves. It means that they are to humble themselves. Maybe through fasting, through, through different ways where their body understands that it's not in charge. The heart is in charge. And, and so they are being called to interact with what is happening in their hearts in their lives. Because see, there are objective realities going on here. There's an objective reality that one is going to represent into the holy of holies, his people. One is going to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on our behalf. One is going onto the scapegoat, the sins of the people onto the scapegoat to take the sins outside the camp. And all that stuff is happening in an objective reality. But friends, there is a subjective reality that you and me, and the people need to humble themselves and see and avail themselves to the mercy of God. The subjective reality of believing it, of seeing it and smelling it and hearing it and tasting it, and that's the question for you. Do you see, smell, hear, taste your need and his provision? Do you see your high priest, not Aaron, but Jesus himself, the one that, that Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, talks about again and again, that great high priest who came to make atonement, to go into the very place of God, but not only is he the great high priest, he's also the sacrifice himself. Do you see the sacrifice? Jesus himself. Jesus sacrificing himself. He doesn't need a rope because he is safe in there. And yet he takes death unto himself. All the debts that need to be paid, all of those things that are so costly are put on him. As the high priest and the sacrifice, do you see that? Do you see him as the scapegoat? You even can look at when, when Jesus was standing there with Barabbas. And they chose to let the criminal free. And they put on the innocent victim who had done nothing wrong. They laid upon him the sins of the people. And he was cast outside of the camp. So that he would pay scapegoat for our sins made it right in Bedford, Massachusetts there was a 
shop owner named Juan Rodriguez. A little convenience store. And one night, a robber, a thief came in and held up Juan's store and took all Juan's money. And, and as he was leaving, Juan realized he had a baseball bat. So he picked it up. And he started chasing him through the town. Now, this is in Massachusetts, so there is not, not, not out here like this. There's a town he's going through, city. And he starts, hey, you stole my money. And the guy probably didn't really want to shoot him or anything, so he's just trying to run away. He's scared. He's run away. Well, people started coming out of their houses, apartments, and they knew Juan Rodriguez, and they knew when he was saying, that guy stole money from me, that he was telling the truth. And so they tackled this guy, and they got him onto the ground, and they started beating him, and they started punching him so he couldn't move. And he was getting hurt and hurt and hurt, and Juan came up and said, stop, and they wouldn't stop. And so Juan jumped on the man and started taking the blows himself to protect the very one who had robbed him. I might remind you of Isaiah 53. Surely Isaiah had this text in mind, starting at verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Friends, this makes a difference because you can be set free in Christ. Your debt can be paid by Jesus. You can be released, not to live a life of slavery and debt, but a life of freedom and grace and love. And there's an objective moment where you can understand that this has been paid. It, it's like your, your mortgage has been paid and you just keep bringing the payment to the bank and they're like, stop bringing the payment. It's over. It is paid. That would be an awesome day like to have that day. But there is also an ongoing subjective moment where you need reminding, where you forget that grace. You embrace it with that humility and thankfulness and you come and gather with the saints who are struggling in different ways. And we don't all just have this totally figured out at all. We come and we gather on Sundays because we have to remember. We have to sing these songs and hear this message and, and taste the sacraments to ourselves and see each other and remind each other, dude, we made it another week and it is crazy. And I have sinned and I need forgiveness. And I have it in Christ. Amen. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That is good news for you, sinners, and me, a sinner, that there is a day of atonement today. These laws in Leviticus and these laws in our world and these laws in your own brain will crush you. They will crush you. But Jesus takes the blows. He pays the blood. He wanders out so that you can be brought in close. That rope is cut because he has perfect access into that holy of holies and dies there so that you could live and be resurrected forever. He is the sin eater. Someone else may have that job for you, and I, I ask you, you may have it yourself, to give it to Jesus. He's the only one that can take away the guilt and the sin and atone for you so that you can be made right with God. I pray that would be true for you today, maybe for the first time or maybe again that you have forgotten the grace that is yours and ours in Christ. Let's take a minute of just silence as as they come up. As you think about the ways where you need the debt paid and Jesus can pay it for you. Let's take just a moment in silence.